Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. The uh, Jay Powell bullshit. This moron. So it's absolutely essential to restore price stability. <clears throat> he says after inflation. He wants the meme stocks to go. He wants the meme stocks to go live again. Dude. Well, if that's what he wants, he's doing the wrong thing because they are all pooping in their pants right now. They're doing the brown pants so, dance. Uh, brown pants dance. So I heard interesting stat since hmm. the start of the pandemic, 2019. Under 2019 to today, IBM has outperformed Shopify. Whew. Isn't that nuts? It. That is wild. Are we in backwards land? I know. This is crazy. Literally backwards land. Yeah, he's, wild. Uh, Anyways. He's taking a, a hard stance, it seems. And the, the man who used to be the, uh, the savior of the market, I mean, his entire tenure up to this point, he was infamous for whenever Jay Powell came out and said anything, markets rebounded, markets spiked everything kind of kept chugging along. And now it's every time he comes out, huge reversal. You think everything's priced in, not priced in. Quarter point, he comes up and says quarter point. They're like, ah, he's doing a quarter point. Yeah, Markets markets collapsed. 700 point reversal today. Dude, it's wild. So by the way, to add another stat to that IBM Shopify thing. So yes, Mm -hmm. over whatever, pick your year, two-year time period. So over 10 years... Shopify's cumulative return is 1,700%. Mm. Take a guess what IBM's 10-year return is. You said Shopify's was 1,700? 1,750. Mm. That's, that's beefy. Um, so 10 years. That's a buddy of mine would youth. say that's sporty. That's sporty. That's sporty. Hopefully he's a listener <laughs> of the podcast. If not, he's not a friend of the show. <laughs> what, um, All right. What's and, the, then, and then what's what the 10-year on, on IBM? 10-year IBM, take a guess. Hmm. 8%. Negative 15%. Ooh, I went far off. I did one good. Mm, yeah, it's not good. good. Not good. Anyways, all right. Well, welcome, everybody, to Craft Advice. Kind of doing a wing in the topic show, Sean. We'll just kind of throw around stuff and see what's going on. I'm actually traveling right now. I'm in... Literally the weirdest town in the fucking country I think I've ever been to, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So much strangeness. Dude, there's Mm -hmm. like, there's a a building with gorilla on it. There's a Titanic building. Next to my hotel is a three-story putt-putt, an arcade along, and then the other side of it has a golf cart or a uh, go-kart racing track. So who knows? It seems like they just took all of the shitty ideas of Orlando and like, let's put them on a nice <laughs> river and some mountains. I was going to say, isn't Pigeon Forge like the Orlando of Tennessee? <clears throat> That's exactly what it is. Dude, the the epitome of white trash oh, is Pigeon Forge. This is like if Daytona Beach mated with Orlando and then mated with some mountains. Honestly, <laughs> That's where I'm talk- at right now. You're talking my language. I'm getting excited. Now. <laughs> <laughs> when, are you going to go to Dollywood though? That's the big question. I don't know. If I, you know, so many things Dolly, to do Dolly here. Dollywood is in Pigeon Forge. Yeah, it's right down the road. Right down mm-hmm. the road. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Anyways, all right. So in honor of this, I'm drinking <laughs> Gatlinburg Brewing Company. I believe Ooh, it is. I like it. This is called Breakfast Juice. Nice IPA. Mm. I need to 
I'm going to Google my own uh, beer here to make sure it's actually said correctly because on the board it just said GBC. So that could be just about anything. I'm just guessing Gatlinburg Brewing Company. But what are you drinking? That's some. That's actually some type of Tennessee meth. It's called. This is a <laughs> yeah. GBTC. Yeah, a hobo <laughs> in the back of his van poured this for me. <laughs> yeah, he's a handsome gentleman. Handsome gentleman. Yeah, um, it came out of his Camelback. He was, you know, sipping on some <laughs> juice and. Come here, out of towner. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, sipping on some lovely Southern swells. The long road less traveled. A little coffee porter, left over from the other day. Um, delicious. It's- warm. Like a porter supposed <clears throat> to be, a little room temp. Mm-hmm. Gets, the chest, gets the chest nice and warm. Yeah, I heard like a fine wine. If you leave your beer out for a couple of days, it just gets a little smoother and smoother and smoother. <laughs> oh, oh good stuff. Well, this is a, Sean. This is a big episode. This is episode fifty five zero. This is, this is episode fifty. A lot Does of, really lot of content. Like been, a lot of content's been covered. A lot of content. That is for sure. And today we're going to start with. Jerome Powell, who decided to murder the markets again. I don't know. Oh, what is going on? Why is – was it always the Fed chair had so much control in the markets, or when did this happen? Even like – I mean, I'm just going to pick on a random stock for a second. Charles Schwab is down like 20% in like three days. Yeah. Like what is happening in this market? I might buy some of that yeah. while we're talking. Yeah, I like, I like Schwab. <laughs> they're, they're a good, uh, they're a good uh, outfit. Good outfit. I like it. But what very is good, going on? I mean, literally, outside of literally crude oil and natural gas, what is happening right now? Yeah, so the, the, the Fed chairman wasn't necessarily always a market-moving individual, but at the same time, the Fed chairman has become much more of a public figure over the last 15-ish type years. All right, so before... They were a lot of oftentimes, I mean, they, they've all, it's all a Fed policy is always important, but, um, you know, again, a lot, historically they were behind the scenes, apolitical, they weren't going to Congress every month and, you know, doing these public hearings. And I mean, it's, it's like, he's always on TV. I mean, he's basically a celebrity. Um, it's like a show. It's a show. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's absurd. But anyways, a lot of this is definitely post-financial crisis, right? So post-financial crisis. The Fed took extreme measures, um, you know, obviously started zero interest rate policy um, after that, right? They started printing an obscene amount of treasuries. China was the primary purchaser. Eventually, China basically stopped eating all the treasuries, and they were still like, well, we still got to find somebody to buy all these treasuries. So then they just started monetizing the debt. So the Fed basically, what that means for listeners out there is you basically – Print debt, and then you buy it from yourself. There you go. Then that, that's something. The government is actually printing treasuries, right? So they're printing money, and then the Federal Reserve is buying. So they're issuing treasuries. The Federal Reserve is buying those treasuries and putting cash into the system. And again, that's debt monetization. And so that pumps liquidity into the system, allows you know for it, not to get too nerdy here, but the velocity of money is in theory sped up. People spend more, banks lend more, credit's looser, right? These are all accommodative policies that can help an economy, which essentially what happened is post-financial crisis, we realized like, oh, this tastes good. We like it because it was necessary for a short time. And then we should have weaned ourselves off of it, you know, frankly, a decade ago. Um, But 
what happened was this, we got a little addicted to the juice, right? Started sipping on our own Kool-Aid and liked it. And we just kept pumping it out, pumping it out. And every time we started pretending like we were going to get away from these policies, right? Remove the zero interest rate policy, get rid of the the, the QE, right? The, uh, the debt monetization stuff. The markets didn't like it, right? They went through these shocks. And as soon as those shocks happened, it was like, oh, oh we're going to stop. We're not going to do that. So, and that's one of the reasons why the Fed chairman has become such a public figure now and why everybody listens to every word he says now because it's like, well, if they turn the spigot off, a lot of liquidity gets pulled out of the market. And again, it's just, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's, I mean, it, it, it has to happen. It has to happen. Uh, <clears throat> got to come off the teat. You got to stop breastfeeding. Got to come off the teat, man. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's, it's been pretty wild. And, uh, and it's funny because I, I was talking to you before about it. So Powell was famously, um, you know, considered like, you know, the, one of the biggest friend, friends to the market. Um, because before COVID, or I mean, I, I would even say early days of COVID, um, every time he would come out and say, you know, kind of what's going on with that policy, going to give updates. I mean, the entirety of his tenure for the most part, because again, he was serving during Barack Obama's tenure. He served during, um, or I'm sorry, he wasn't there during Obama's tenure. He was there during Bush's, or I'm sorry, Trump's tenure, right? So Trump, and then now here. So every time he's been coming out and basically saying something, it's been very well received by the market. And so we always saw positive rebounds or bounces in the market. And then essentially, uh, ever since then, ever since the hyperinflation has started to kick in and people realizing, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what the Fed says. They can't do what they want to do. And so now we're starting to see a situation where, again, where we have a the reverse of what he's historically been, right? So, again, he's always been a positive figure in the market. Whenever Jerome Powell comes out and says something, the markets respond positively. And, again, he... He does, uh, a, you know, a kind of a victory lap. Markets do well. Um, everybody loves him. But the last, I don't know, six, eight months, every time he comes out, the markets reverse. Whatever's going on, the markets reverse. I mean, today we were up 300 points at one point. Or I'm sorry, we were up 400 points at one point. Now we're down 300 points. Yeah. We've got a 700-point yeah. reversal just because he came out and said what everybody expected him to say, which is, hey – we really need to get this inflation under control. It's not really slowing down. You know, the, the, there's some areas that might be slowing down, but there's a lot of areas that are speeding up. And there's other concerns out there, i.e. now there's more, because of zero COVID policy in, in China, there's some more supply chain concerns, right, which could exacerbate some of the, uh, you know, the issues with inflation. And so he's like, we definitely need to get these price controls uh, in check and, Essentially, what's going on is instead of 25 basis point or quarter point increases, he is now saying the 50 base point, a 50 basis point or a half a percent increase is very, very possible. And basically, what the market takes that as, it's absolutely going to happen. Oh yeah, yeah. It's getting, it's getting to the point too where you're starting to see. I mean, it seems like this is the most televised recession. I know an interest rate move ever. And for some reason, the market is more volatile on these moves than ever. So it's, <clears throat> it's wild to watch. I don't know. Really, I think this is one of those things where 
how do you how do you do something for this? How do you plan for this? How do you prep? You don't. You just sit back and just wait through this. This is not something you can really invest around. You can't make changes and kind of bypass this. You're kind of just beholden to whatever the hell happens. But I want to go next, Sean. I want to circle back on our episode from the week prior on Elon and Twitter. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I think this is hilarious. So two two big news things happened. And again, we're recording this on the 21st. This is going to drop a little little bit after this. So we're maybe we might be a little late on the news here. But the big news right now this week is the fact that everyone's wondering how the fuck is Elon going to spend $43, $45 billion, whatever it is, <laughs> to buy Twitter. Now, Sean, you sent a great uh, message that tw- uh, Tesla blew out their earnings. Huge earnings, yep. stock up huge today. Now, two things with that the first was he hit the major milestone of all of his like he hit the trifecta of all his bonuses so it's kind of like he went and he parlayed all his bets at the track and he hit so i believe he had a multi-billion dollar bonus just from how successful tesla was this quarter add to that the boring company just raised 675 million dollars yep which gave him just under a six billion dollar valuation so Elon, for some reason, everything he touches turns to gold. <laughs> so, so I kind of think the line of people, the, the smartest thing he's doing is, okay, instead of fighting all of these shareholders and creating this big lawsuit, let's just put a vote out and see if they want to, do they want to do a tender offer and sell me their shares? And yep. you're going to have the Elon fanboys that just go, yep, you handle this shit. This has been I wanna, like IBM. I want to buy shares just to sell them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to buy shares just to sell them back to them. I mean, have be you ever met of, someone that owns a Tesla that – how many people have you met that has a Tesla that only bought a Tesla because they bought Tesla stock and it went up like 100x? It's the same everybody, shit. It's, I, will, I will say this. Everybody that I know who owns a Tesla also owns Tesla stock. Yeah. Never yeah. met anybody who doesn't own both. You get stabbed in, you know, I think the jugular when you're driving that car and it makes you buy the <laughs> stock or vice versa. Something that, You ride in one, you get shot up with something. But – no, I think but, he's got he's got the cash to, to close this thing. So to put it into perspective, because, um, you know, again, this is, like you said, he hit the trifecta. So he hits, like, the parlay of all parlays, and he yeah. is in line to get a, almost a $56 billion bonus. <laughs> so he gets absurd. Twitter for free? That's what I mean, he, Twitter for he, gets, he gets Twitter and has money left over to buy Snapchat. <laughs> oh, no, to it's so CNN. incredible! To buy CNN, oh, they're giving CNN away. Mm. That's part we, of the we won't spend much. Right? We won't spend much time on that. But CNN Plus folded the uh, the the the, yes. uh, the doors within a month of launching. They wasted three hundred million dollars on that venture, and it and it completely collapsed. They said they weren't even able to get nine thousand. There was like between. Seven and 9,000 people signing up a day. And in order for them to monetize it or break even within a year, I want to say the number had to be like 250. I mean, it was just like some, you it was you so far Wolf away. Blitzer? <laughs> you're not, not going to pay 999 for Wolf Blitzer? And his fucking I'm going to hear Wolf, Wolf's hot take. <laughs> <laughs> That's such, just give it all to Elon. Let him figure it out. Oh, that's great. He could make, he great. could remake. So I don't know if you saw, but. 
I can't remember. There was a Joe Rogan episode where they were talking about Elon afterwards, and they were just kind of shooting shit. And he's like, I forget who the guest was. I need to go back and look at this. But the guest was like, "Is Elon going to buy CNN or some sort of media outlet and just allow people like, like, let Rogan be an anchor and do exactly what he does, just on a you know major network, you know, just or yeah. put his content out?" And he's give like, him, uh, "Give him a three-hour time slot." Yeah, three-hour time slot. No, com- <laughs> I mean. Wh- what I never understand is if you turn on CNN, you turn on any of these media outlets, all you hear is like, it's all pharmaceutical ads. And yeah. then who the fuck goes to their doctor and he's like, I heard about Jardians when I was watching TV and I was eating I a donut. <laughs> I think yeah. that might solve it. Yep. It's like, I, I don't get it. Like, cut all that shit out. It is wild. Just let, just let the news go. You know, bring on people, let them go, let them see what happens. But yeah, I, I think this is one where the board at Twitter is going to get murdered and the CEO is going to get murdered if they don't take this offer, mostly because I think the shareholders are pissed. They haven't done anything in 10 years. Exactly. So he hit all his milestones. He's got the cash. I don't see how he doesn't lock this thing up by the time this podcast airs. So the, uh, so the, the original offer to the board was uh, what was like 43.8 billion. And so now he, yeah. he upped it a little bit to 46 and a half billion for the tender offer. To the people, because Elon's a man of the people. If they want to shut him down, he goes directly to the people. And I like it, because I consider myself a man of the people. <clears throat> yep. Well, <laughs> speaking of men of the people, mm. let's talk about the let's talk about the bloodbath that's Netflix. We're gonna go Ooh. to DeSantis next. That's literally just picking up. I thought you were going to DeSantis, but that's all right. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go Netflix first, because I'm staring right at that that chart, and it is disgusting. Oh God. So, so honestly, I was buying this thing around three fifty, and it spiked up a little bit to four, and I got out of it. And thank God I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's there's an episode that we recorded probably six weeks ago where I was talking about how I think I, this is a good buy. I don't know if you can touch this thing right now because it's in absolute free fall. Price discovery Netflix, mode. <laughs> Netflix. Well, this is the this is the epitome of falling knife. So literally. Mm-hmm. On the year, so since January 1st, it's down 64%, which is absurd for a company this size. Now, honestly, this this actually is going to mend very well with our DeSantis discussion because I think the whole reason it's getting kicked in the nuts is Disney already owns their content. They own Marvel. They own Star Wars, and they have an endless universe. Like even I started watching Moon Knight, which was fucking weird shit on Disney+, Plus, but it's actually really good. Netflix has to go out and just buy content and they spend 15, 20 billion dollars a year in content. This stock has plummeted. But the reason I want to bring this up was Bill Ackman, who's one of the larger hedge fund managers. He's he attacked Herbalife a couple of years back and basically tried to call them a fraud. He also bought Chipotle right when Chipotle imploded when they were poisoning people. He's one of those hedge fund managers that only owns like five or ten stocks at the time. Yep. So he tends to go deep on what he owns. He bought Netflix in January and sold everything at a loss as soon as the earnings here were reported. So I don't know what you what your thoughts are on about this, but this looks scary. Oh, no. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, so, so I would say I have two. I have conflicting opinions on it. I'll say that. Right. So I have a conflicting opinion on it because I think that right now I wouldn't touch it now. Because I do think it's in free fall, and I do think it's it's got a little bit more to go. And if the broader market weakens, I think Netflix is going to continue to fall with the broader market, which is even more than it's already fallen. 
So I, I don't think you have to buy it now. I think you wait three months and you probably pay less for it than you're going to pay today. Honestly, oh. it's only trading it. It's, it's trading at 20 times earnings. Yeah. This company brings in $32 billion a year. I mean, it's a fucking juggernaut. So is this yeah, thing going to double from here over 10 years? I would say 100% yes. But absolutely, could absolutely. you, if you're trying to trade this thing now, you're going to get, you're going to get effed in the A as Sean likes to say. Correct. Yeah, you're going to get effed in the A and nobody likes that. Unless you like that. But anyways, that's not the kind of podcast. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> as far as uh, maybe down goes, the, Maybe down the street <laughs> in Dollywood, that's what they're about. That's right. Um, but no, I wouldn't touch it right now. I think in the next month, two months, three months, I mean, I think you'll see a bottom eventually. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty with the Fed. Again, there's just a lot of macro headwinds for everything in the stock market, especially tech, especially Again, names that are higher flyers like this. Um, but what you see from a broader trend is, again, more competition. Obviously, HBO had positive numbers today. So it's not a fact of, hey, people are, they're not streaming anymore, right? They're just streaming other services, right? I mean, like the content yeah. for Netflix has become stale. Um, you know, they've got to pivot. They've got to do some different things. I think the management team will do that. I Again, I, I believe the company as a whole, this could be, I'll put it this way. I liken this to what happened with Chipotle when they were killing everybody. 100%. Right? Chipotle had the poopy <laughs> lettuce. Chipotle had the poopy lettuce that killed some people. And everybody's like, ah, oh, I'll never touch that stock. It's the worst thing in the world. It's like, ah, eh, I think 6X or 7X from its absolute bottom. I mean, it was an incredible run. Obviously, you had to, like, you know, you had to be confident in the management team, confident in the product. And really have a little faith there. But I think the same holds true for Netflix. It's such an established brand. It's so well ingrained. I mean, they still have 220 million subscribers that are paying every month. The fact that they had one quarter with negative subscription growth, again, that could potentially be a canary in the coal mine. I don't think it's as big of a deal as it's being. I mean, again, you don't lose 40% in two days because you had one bad quarter. I think that's just such an overblown reaction. But at the same time, I don't know where the bottom is at the very moment. So I'd wait a little bit. But I definitely think once the bottom is in, you back the truck up and you buy Netflix because the five, ten-year chart on that thing, I guarantee you, you're going to be very happy with it. There's enough, there's enough revenue there to, to make up for this. But I just have a great idea. We should, start, we should start an app that rotates which subscription you're paying for based on when shows are out. So it's like, yeah. oh, Yellowstone just dropped. Give me Paramount Plus. Boom. It's that's over. It. Boom. Cancel that shit. Shut it off. <laughs> but that's how they all work, right? I mean, it's all month to month. You can. There's no commitment. You shut them off, which is fine. And that's what the market wants because the market doesn't want the old guard, right, which is cable. And you're locked in for a 12-month you know, contract or a 24-month contract or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, as Netflix's prices have gone up, their contents have gone down, right, in terms of quality content it's gone down and at the same time you've got a lot more competition hbo is a lot better um i mean disney plus owns fucking everything they own so many different brands even though they're doing some weird stuff on the side that we'll talk about later uh, at the end of the day i mean they're, they're i mean frankly streaming saved disney yep. them buying those brands and then pivoting to streaming completely saved because the parks are still in, in trouble that was the movies are still in trouble. Baseball streaming platform they bought. They bought yeah. a major league baseball streaming platform and converted it into the juggernaut. I mean, even 
I mean, I, I'm never going to stop paying for that thing because for some reason, every no. time a Star Wars show ends, they just drop a Marvel show. And then the Marvel show ends, they put another Star Wars show out. And they're all fantastic. They have, they have the money they and the own, to do it. That's it. And they own the rights, right? So they own the rights to the storyline and the universe, right? That is Marvel. That is Star Wars. That is like all these big brands that they can, they can take it so many different directions and beyond so many different points that it's ever been that nobody's technically allowed to do or Disney will sue you in the, into the dirt. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, they've got unlimited content, unlimited options. And those brands are so ingrained to our culture. And honestly, I mean, those are, those are massive brands globally, right? It's not just a U.S. based thing. I mean, Marvel and Star Wars are probably the two biggest global brands around the world that are, that they can, again, take in so many different directions. So Disney plus is the only thing that's really saving that company, but it's also the thing that's really, hurting uh, moving you know, Netflix. But I would also add, if you Disney, look at the numbers, so, might as well. so they did, um, I want to say it was 700,000. So they, so their, their pro- projected quarterly subscription growth was supposed to be something in the 2.5 million range. It was expected to add 2.5 million paid subscribers. They actually had a negative, net negative 200,000. But some of that subscription growth change was you know, kind of a self-inflicted wound or an intentional move because they completely cut off the country of Russia, which had about yeah. 700, 700, 800,000 plus paid subscribers. So when you completely get rid of an entire country like that, obviously that's going to hit the bottom line. So um, again, if you, if you look at it from a earnings per share perspective, they beat on earnings per share revenue, was the top line revenue slightly missed. But free cash flow blew it out of the water. Again, so that's what I'm saying. Some of the financial numbers were still very healthy. It was the subscription growth figures that really freaked everybody out. And again, I, I think this is going to be a Chipotle story all over again. Yeah, it's too yeah. again. It's it's too, it's too big of a brand. It's got too much penetration. There's too many paid subscribers. It's just too big. I don't believe it. Well, I think the I think the biggest thing I would tell everyone right now is you need to when whenever you're investing, you got to realize. You're not buying fucking three month CDs. This isn't like crypto overnight. You're making a fucking, you know, bajillion dollars. A lot of these companies that, you know, whether it's, now I'm a big fanboy for Shopify. You're looking at a six month window into the business and you're crucifying probably yourself for how terrible the stock has done over that time period. But this is kind of one of the reasons they say markets are cyclical. They fade in out of favor. So if you're in your 30s and 40s and you have 20 fucking years until you use whatever you're investing, like, stop fucking worrying about this stuff. This stuff is going to come back around. Netflix is going to expand their business beyond where it's at now by, you know, a magnitude of of some number. So I, I wouldn't focus too much on some of the volatility now. You need to be patient. You need to look through some of what's going on. I wouldn't buy companies that aren't making money now because that is a sure way to lose money. But a company like Netflix, there's $30 billion coming in the front door. You know, once they have enough content there, they shut the expenses off. They don't buy more content. And all of that profit goes right down to the bottom line. But even Netflix had $5 billion, $5 billion in profit last quarter or last year. That's substantial. Quite substantial. But yeah, Anyways, no, I mean, let's... again, no, 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 you bring up a great point before we move. All I'll say is that, again, at the end of the day, the numbers weren't, it wasn't, the financial numbers were bad, right? It was the subscription numbers that were bad. 
At the same time, you've got high inflation, right? So you've got families looking to cut costs. And if you're taking a, a company that, you know, you're paying 15 to 16, you know, 15, 16 dollars for this subscription, you've got another subscription that's 10 to 12, you've got another subscription, you're gonna eventually cut it in some form or fashion. And at the end yep. of the day, yep. if you're a family, right? Because if you think about who's probably cutting costs the most, it's families, right? You've got a middle-class family that their groceries are getting more expensive, their gas is getting more expensive, all their other costs, kids' clothes, all the stuff's getting more expensive. They've got to cut costs somewhere. Okay, we've got Disney Plus, we've got Netflix, we're going to cut Netflix, we're going to keep Disney Plus. And again, I think you'll see people add it back when the content improves. And at the same time, the other thing to keep in mind is that they still don't even have like commercial-based paid like, uh, advertising-based services yet, right? Packages, right? So yep. they've also rolled that out as a, as a possibility to generate further revenue down the road is coming up with, hey, here's Netflix for 15 bucks a month, normal. You got it. And then you've got an ad-supported version for $9.99, right? So are you, are you willing to pay less to see a few ads instead of zero ads? And I think there's a market for that, which obviously Hulu's found that market. I mean, there's there's plenty of the streaming services that have found that market. And again, it's it's a company that knows streaming so well that they're going to eventually pivot, figure it out. And it, this is not the end of Netflix by any means. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Last story we're going to wrap up on. I'm going to read this from the New York Times. In a move widely seen as retaliation, Governor Ron DeSantis <laughs> asked Florida lawmakers on Tuesday to reconsider the termination of self-governing privileges that Disney World has held in Orlando for 55 years. So for those that don't know or aren't from the area, it was back in the, I believe in the 60s. 67. Disney went, so when Disney bought the land, they requested a specific amount of property around Disney that was also part of their land. So they kind of almost siloed themselves in. And then at the same time, they put in these rules where they can self-govern. They don't need city approval for park expansion, for, you know, to redirect waterways, to redirect sewage, whatever it might be. A good example I heard is there's a good reason you never see potholes in Disney. It's because they don't need to ask the city for permission to pave them. They just do it. That's so it. DeSantis came out with the bill. I mean, which makes complete sense. Like, don't talk to my my five-year-old about different sorts of gender feelings and sexuality. Like you don't need that shit. So yeah. Disney came back, talked some shit to him. And he said, you know what? If you're going to play woke in Florida. We're going to revoke your special privileges. So yeah. John, this is right up your alley. I think a, a DeSantis tattoo appeared on your chest. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 I'm in the, uh, I'm in the corner. I'm in his corner. I'm Mickey. I'm over there. Wiping the wiping the wiping the sweat off his yeah, brow. You got his shoulders. Off his got brow. That's right. Rubbing the shoulders down. Ice on his chest. Get back in the ice fight, Ron. Chest. Get back in the fight, Big Ron. No, uh, yeah. So Reedy Creek, right? So the Reedy Creek uh, Act was passed because essentially Disney came and said, "Hey, we've got this massive grand vision," but the Central Florida communities were like, "Well, we can't help you with that. We don't have any money because this is the '60s, and people don't think about that back then." Central Florida was basically like. Dirt, dirt roads and farms and swamps. And, yeah, it was, a through, it was a through town. Yeah, it was a through town. Nobody lived there. I mean, it was a population of 10, and that's why the land was so cheap, which, you know, was a good thing. But at the same time, it was like, these communities can't help with that development. They, they had no clue how to facilitate that growth. So 
the government basically, you know, the legislature created it, that act that says, okay, you've got a lot of money. You've got the know-how. We'll give you carte blanche. This is great for you. This is great for us. And it was, and it is. And basically it allowed them to grow unfeathered. You know, there was some tax advantages to it. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it that they were able to reap. But at the same time, it was mutually beneficial, right? The state was able to reap it as well. So we've got a tremendous amount of, you know, tax-based revenue from it, uh, a lot of tourism, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, uh, you, it's never a good idea to try to go toe-to-toe with any state governor because this, the way that the, you know, again, U.S. government is, is designed is, right, the feds have a lot of power, but the, the state governors have a tremendous amount of power as well. Uh, especially on state and local issues like that. And so they basically came out and said that we are going to actively campaign against you and your policies. And that's when DeSantis was like, okay, well, no more special privileges for you then. So now that that's gone, the estimated cost on an annual basis. Now again, Disney's a multi-billion, you know, they're they're a massive company. So this isn't going to hit them so hard necessarily but again it is still a it's a punch in the face right so two the estimates are 200 million dollars plus an additional uh tax revenue that they're going to have to pay out and servicing fees and costs um and then the other thing is this is going to just slow down further expansion right so if they want to expand areas of the park if they want to build new resorts if they want to you know add in new roads again they can't go through the old hey we're just going to do it because it's the right thing and this which you know, it may or may not be right, but they can't do that anymore. Now they have to go through, uh, again, the county boards. They have to go through the same channels that any other developer has to go through, which, again, I think it's completely fair now that the state's fully, you know, not fully developed, but pretty darn fully developed. And take those areas. I mean, why should one company be given such preference over another company? Right? You've got a, a corporate, like, say, I don't know, the Four Seasons wants to come in and put a, a massive hotel. They can't just sort of go, I'm going to buy this land and build whatever I want and put in some roads and do all this. And I don't have to ask anybody permission or make sure it's, you know, they, they have to now go through the proper steps and go through, again, the same types of, they have to stand in line basically like everybody else. Submit your docs. Where, exactly. They've got to submit their docs and stand in line just like everybody else. Whereas before they didn't have a line, they had their own window, they were State rubber stamp their own docs and skip to the front and move on. So I think it's great. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where it's you don't realize some of the power of some of these companies, and this is also a good indication of the rug can get pulled out underneath an investment thesis very quickly. Oh yeah, and Disney, as much as someone thinks about Disney and you think about all the brands they have in the parks. I mean, Disney will be around for another hundred years. We'll be everyone listening to this will be dead. Disney will still be there, fucking pumping out Marvel <laughs> movies. But at the same time, it's small things like this that can just destroy businesses. If the business gets away from what the business does, the core business, don't, yeah. You don't need Disney telling your family how to raise your kids and what they can and can't get, and all this other woke nonsense and bullshit. It's like. Disney needs to make better parks, better movies, better content, and just shove it down your throat. So I'm wondering if, you know, I don't know if this would have ever popped up under Bob Iger. I wonder if this is one of those things that, unfortunately, you know, he drops out. And then, you know, people think they can strong arm the, I know, us bald get a, you know, we get pressured sometimes. 
No, um, I, Bob Chang, I think that's a great point. I think I, th- I do. I think that's a great point, right? I don't think that would have ever happened underneath Bob Iger. I think he's he was a CEO that was too sure-footed, and he was very well established. Um, but again, the the new Bob Chapik, Chapik, right? Bob Chapik. Yeah. Uh, whatever the fuck, we don't know. Oh, it's Chapik. Yes, I just I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't remember how to say it, it was Chapik or Chapik, but it was Chapik. I'm pretty sure. Bob Chapik. He uh the new Bob. He uh obviously he's. Again, it's a newer CEO. There's some there's some kind of issues with certain areas of growth within the business. He doesn't want to upset some of the sensitive parts of the uh, employment. Again, and it's just part of what a, what's happening on a broader scale within uh, you know American corporations at the moment is that they're all bending to certain very loud uh, portions of either their clientele or their employees. And social media really helps perpetuate this, right? With Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, et cetera. And it just really helps amplify the voices of uh, a very small majority or Nonsense. a very small mi- minority. Um, whatever, whatever the, you know, and it doesn't necessarily matter what the topic is. It just, it, it amplifies voices and it pushes CEOs to make that, again, you have to think about, right? These people are so out of touch with reality because they are, right? They're not real people. They're, they're CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, they haven't felt a normal day like you and I have in, you know, 30 years, probably, right? I mean, it's depending on how old they are, right? But this individual has been so high up in the company. He's been drinking the Disney Kool-Aid for so long. I mean, it's just, it's not a scenario where this individual knows what the general pulse is and the general feelings are, A, about this law and about some of the other actions they're taking. And they, because nobody else is saying anything, but they hear this large group, or, or I should say this loud group, say this one thing. And so they're like, okay, well, this is what we have to do. This is what everybody wants, obviously. But, you know, I think I think it's uh, proven otherwise. And, and you raise a great point, right? Brands getting away from their core business, their core competency. I mean, Disney is a family-oriented business. And if you upset a lot of families and a lot of families stop watching your movies and a lot of families stop going to your parks, and a lot of families stop going to your, you know, again, downloading your um, your streaming service and paying for that. At the end of the day, what are you then? Yep. So I'm going to bring up a good podcast. We'll close on this. But on the flight up here, I listened to this podcast called Panic with Friends. A guy named Howard Lindzen, which is kind of a tech entrepreneur. And he had Patrick Spence, who's the CEO of Sonos. Now, I'm a full disclosure Sonos shareholder. I'm a huge advocate of their products, but I never knew where the CEO came from. And I guess he was the head of sales of BlackBerry when they went from like 100 employees to like 1,500 employees or something nonsense like that. Mm-hmm. So he was he was the head of sales as they were selling to enterprises, as they went like every company had a BlackBerry. <clears throat> and so the reason I'm bringing this up is when the first iPhone came out, BlackBerry originally had their own messenger product, the same thing as WhatsApp. And the sales team was pushing and Patrick Spence was pushing, hey, let's take this product and let's just open it up to everyone. iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, I don't care. Give everyone the ability to use BlackBerry Messenger. But the company decided, hey, Apple's making smartphones that are touchscreen. We should make smartphones that are touchscreen. In hindsight, it made sense. The first iPhone sucked, but BlackBerry originally was making $20 billion a year in sales. 
mm-hmm. were the market leader and they, they left what they were doing and imploded their business. So it's one of the things when, you know, when the eye comes off the ball, that's when you get hit in the face with the pitch. You don't want to see these companies do that. So hopefully they don't do that shit and stick to what they're doing. Stick to your knitting. And, and so, uh, and no, that's, that's a great point. Cause that's honestly one of the, I mean, that's a textbook business school. I mean, that's a, that's a perfect example, right? I didn't and, know the um, Sonos CEO was so involved in that, but it was a great podcast. I recommend anyone listen to that. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a great example. But, um, so the other thing that I would add, right. So this gentleman, Bob Chapik, the current CEO, he's only been in charge for about two years. Um, little slightly over two years. He's Came also in. announced he's going to retire at the end of five years. If you yeah. said that when he got started, he's only doing five years. Well, this is not shaping up mm. to be a strong five years. Never mind. The share, the share price Retract. has a, uh, go ahead. That was the Starbucks. That was the Starbucks CEO. Ah, uh, I got you. Gotcha. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sure. Sorry guys. We're drinking. Oh. We're drinking. No, <laughs> Kevin Johnson took over for Howard Schultz. And that's what he said. Five years as soon as he got hired. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Bob Chapik came in, and over his tenure, the share price of Disney is negative twelve percent. Now, again, bear in mind Fucking he did he, he, he did he did come in during you know at the very beginning, right before COVID started. So that's a very challenging time for obviously a theme park oriented business. But again, a lot of their revenue still comes from movies, which were also shut down. So they've had a challenging time. But if you look at the broader market, I mean, we're up forty eight fifty percent over that time period and their business is down 12, 13%. Um, and again, it, it looks to, it looks to be struggling even more. So, um, again, it's down twice as much as the market so far this year. There, there really aren't a lot of bright spots. I mean, again, if you look at the ESPN purchased complete bust, that's just, it's just completely bleeding money from them. Um, I mean, the only things that have done well for them are the, are the Marvel and the, the Star Wars purchases and the streaming service. I mean, if you take that away, which could easily eventually, you know, if you upset enough people, those things will start to wane in popular popularity too. Uh, those are the only things that are really keeping the business afloat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. It's been enough, enough for today, enough nonsense, enough Elon Musk making money. And on uh, cheers, dude. La- hold on, last piece on Elon Musk. He just came out a little while ago, earlier that guy today. Fucks. <laughs> Got fucks. Um, <laughs> dad dick, absolute dad dick. Eighties, eighties, uh, dad dick. He uh, came out and said that the the robot, the uh, what the heck is it called? He said that he believes the robot is eventually going to be much more profitable than the, than the Tesla, like. Than his car company. He thinks that what they are doing right now with these robots is so groundbreaking that they Optimus. are going to the Optimus robot. There you go. The Optimus robots. He said the Optimus robots are going to be much more profitable and groundbreaking than anything they did with, with the vehicles. You wait till those things start fucking killing, you know, <clears throat> the, it does the math. And this is how the war starts. This is actually how the, uh, well, the John Connor is out there. If you're so, listening, John quote, Quote Save me it. here. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to put these in assisted living facilities to help old people. And they're going to, the machines are going to realize, just strangle them all to death. <laughs> thought you were going a different direction with that, but okay. Uh, I was saying that those things are basically going to take... It's more profitable, right? So then the <laughs> term care facility has less costs. But they're going to... Um, killed half the facility. 
but then they're going to kill their revenue stream because now the people are gone. So why do they have to pay for the robot? Well, they just rotate in beds, rotate in beds. You got space, bring them in, you know? They, uh, they will absolutely be eliminating a good 10% of the labor force, unfortunately, at least. Yeah, we've all seen iRobot. We know how this ends. It doesn't end well. <clears throat> no. We're all, all right, there. man. Well, everybody, right. thank you uh, for joining in again. Another, uh, another episode of Craft Advice. This was the 50th. Uh, just Jack and I Five kicking zero. around some uh, some fun topics. What's going on right now in the market? Very important stuff, though. Uh, we talked about the Fed again, overreaction by the market. Um, Jerome Powell basically coming out and doing what he said he was already going to do, and reiterating that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And the market really hoping that he's not going to do that, and because he didn't not do that, an overreaction. Uh, we also touched on Tesla. A lot of the great numbers that we've seen out of that. Um, the exciting things that are going on with uh, Twitter and the uh, tender offer, uh, obviously Disney, and uh, you know again some some good topics touched on today. But appreciate everybody coming out and listening. Big five zero, Jack. Any words? Yeah, I mean thanks everybody for paying attention for fucking fifty episodes. Holy shit! I fifty mean, episodes. Sean, thank you for paying attention for fifty episodes. <laughs> I try sometimes. Yeah, we're we're getting there. We're we will uh, we'll make this more official. We'll get better microphones and stuff. I don't even know how the audio sounds on this. Is it clear? Sounds fine to me. All right. Well, fuck it. Maybe I'll just use AirPods and the MacBook for everything going forward. So, what cheers. else do you need? Cheers, everybody. You you Lights. need you need Gatlinburg Brewing Company breakfast juice. Damn right, I do. Like Pretty subscribe. Like subscribe as always. Craft dash advice if you have any comments questions. Uh, if you any topics you guys would like to cover, complaints again, thanks. Complaints don't don't send those stock Fuck tips. Uh, <laughs> stock tip, send the stock tips. We like those. Uh, anyways, <laughs> cheers everybody, and uh, and enjoy the week. Cheers, cheers. All right, adios everybody. Jack and Sean work for Sench Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Sench Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Sench Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.